Good morning, church. My name is Paul, and uh, I'll be your scripture reader this morning. And no surprise, I'm reading from the book of Psalms. We're reading Psalm 19, which is one of Pastor Alex's favorites. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech, and night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I want to add a word of welcome to what Sam said already. Um, if you are new, if you're visiting with us especially, we get a lot of visitors at this time of year, we want to welcome you and I hope that I'll be able to meet you, some of you, over lunch after the service. My name is Alex and I serve as senior minister here at Knox. And if in that reading that Paul just did for us, the final verse of the psalm sounded familiar, that is because it's often used as a prayer by the preacher right before the sermon. Really, it's an acknowledgement that God comes first in our worship, that the purpose of life as a whole is from him and for him. And that covers every part of the service, and especially the sermon. So let's, let's pray that prayer together now. Lord, may these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart and in response, all of our hearts, be pleasing in your sight. You who are our rock and our redeemer. And as we've sung, Lord, would you open our ears, help us to listen. Holy Spirit, you have words of eternal life for us today. Speak them to our minds, to our hearts. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So would you say that you're a good listener? 
Would the people close to you agree if you said that you were a good listener? One challenge we face in learning to listen well in our culture is that we have so many distractions in our lives. Also, some of us, I think, are better naturally at listening than others. But the good news is that we can all learn to be better listeners, and that's really going to help us in our relationships with others. Next week, we'll look at a story in which Jesus listens incredibly well to two sisters. The importance of listening lies in how central it is to being loved and giving love. You can't enter into a relationship with someone unless you're willing to listen intentionally to them. Maybe you've had the experience of knowing that a friend is truly closely listening to you, that they are with you, that they are paying attention to every word you say, so much so that it feels like you're the only one in the room, even if there's a crowd all around you. That's a great feeling. That's a feeling that encourages us. And you can think of the whole Christian life as being something like that. God is always with us, and we are learning to listen as the Holy Spirit speaks his encouragement, his correction, his word to us each day. And Psalm 19, I want to suggest this morning, is about listening to God. And it covers three categories of speech or words. First of all, in the opening, we have the words of creation. And then later in the psalm, the word of God is laid out for us. And finally, there's a word for us, a word for you and me. First, we have words of creation. We read that the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. For Christians and other people of faith, the beauty and order of the natural world point to the existence of God. For everyone, the sky, the sun, the stars, they fill us with awe and they awaken a longing in us, a longing for something beyond ourselves. Maybe they leave us feeling small, even insignificant in the vastness of the universe. So many people in our world are looking for something. They're looking for something deeper, something more meaningful, something that can explain life and even make a personal connection with us. Perhaps offer love, solace, But you know, for all its beauty, the natural world doesn't actually say anything. The skies do not speak to us. And verse 3 acknowledges that. It says, The heavens have no speech, use no words, no sound is heard from them. But that's a little strange, because it seems to contradict what came right before it. In verse 2, where it says that the heavens actually pour forth speech. So what's going on here? Well, I think the contrast is meant to highlight the dual nature of these words of creation, the natural world around us. The, the, The reality is you can learn a lot from the natural world. 
And the speech of creation is what theologians sometimes call general or natural revelation. It's what you can know about God and spiritual matters by observing the natural world and human nature and drawing rational conclusions from what you see. We can learn so much from the world. Some of you are maybe starting studies here in Toronto, and that's what you'll be doing. You'll be learning from what's out there, from books, from scientific experiments. All of us, from artists and historians to scientists and songwriters, pay attention to what I'm calling creation. So it does have a voice, and its words do go out to the ends of the world. But here's the thing. The natural world is awesome and beautiful, and yet it will never be your friend. It will never satisfy your need for relationship, for communication, to speak and to be spoken to, to be heard and to hear from others. The natural world is a wonder, but it is not enough. A few weeks ago, I stayed at a friend's cottage on Crystal Lake in the Kawarthas, and the next day I drove south through Bob Cajun on my way to my parents' place. As I did that, my playlist featured a lot of songs by the Tragically Hip. And of course, that included the song Bob Cajun. When you're in Bob Cajun, you must listen to Bob Cajun. I love the chorus of that song most of all. It goes like this. It was in Bob Cajun where I saw the constellations reveal themselves one star at a time. It's such a great line. And I imagine the author of that line, Gord Downey, lead singer and songwriter for The Tragically Hip, considering the heavens as he sings those words. He describes a longing all of us feel for beauty, for the largeness of the sky, for eternity, for God. And in his song, he makes the stars personal. And yet we know that the constellations cannot reveal themselves. That's not scientific. Stars are simply enormous balls of fiery gas. Still, we wonder as we look up at the night sky. I hope that some of you had a chance to do that this summer. Get out of the city, see the stars as they're meant to be seen. We ask questions like, are we alone? Is there something more in the universe? Is there someone, even, behind all that beauty? Someone who can reveal what it means, who can give us what we most need, who can love us and watch over us. There are lots of words in our world. One block east of here, you'll find Robart's Library. It contains four and a half million books. And there are another eight million books elsewhere in the U of T library system. But that's only a drop in the digital ocean of information. We have access to that. Do we have the wisdom to know where to turn? Psalm 19 points us in that direction, saying that only the law of God is perfect, is worthwhile, is meant to be at the center of your life. Nature is wonderful, 
and the knowledge we get from nature in studies, in life, can certainly point you to God, but it will not be able to refresh your soul. Dr. Francis Collins, a physician geneticist who directed the Human Genome Project, writes in his amazing book, The Language of God, science's domain is to explore nature. God's domain is in the spiritual world, a realm not possible to explore with the tools and language of science. It must be examined with the heart, the mind, and the soul, and the mind must find a way to embrace both realms. If you're a student in the sciences or just generally interested, let me recommend this book by Collins. Psalm 19 makes clear that ultimately both of these domains belong to God. And something important changes as we move from these words of creation in the opening six verses of the psalm to its second part. Earlier it talked about God. That's the word in the English translation. It comes from the Hebrew word Elohim. It's a broad word that means God Almighty. But as soon as it begins to talk about God's word, about scripture, starting from verse 7, as soon as the psalmist focuses on God's word, he starts calling God by a different name. He calls him Lord. He refers to the law of the Lord, the statutes of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commands of the Lord. And in Hebrew, Lord is Yahweh. It's God's personal name. It's the name God gives to people with whom he enters into a loving covenant relationship. People he invites to get to know him. So Psalm 19 says, if you want to know about God, then you can start by looking at this amazing natural world around you. But if you want to know God personally, that he loves you, and that he has a word for you, words of eternal life, words to guide you, sustain you, and nurture you, the only way to find that out, to hear that word, is in Scripture. Because if you study the natural world alone, you will not get to a personal God of love. No, what you get by observing the world is more like natural selection. You get the strong eating the weak. It's one thing to enjoy the sunset and the night sky from a friend's cottage near Bob Cajun, but the lessons of nature are brutal. They come through forest fires, hurricanes, and earthquakes. They come through the consequences of climate change. And they end sometimes in death and destruction. And you learn the same thing if you study human history. Whether it's the brutality of the ancient world, or the early modern wars of religion, or the much more disastrous secular wars of the past century, with colonialism and genocide on an unprecedented scale. Over and over again, it's the story of those with power seeking to dominate and exploit. So, if that's our world, where can we find hope? Hope that will endure. Hope that runs deep. It takes God's word to refresh our souls. Other translations talk about reviving or restoring the soul. Your soul is who you really are. It's who you are deep down. It's your core. It's your heart. 
And the psalm tells us it needs to be revived and restored. And so it follows that there must be something wrong with it. And that word refreshed in the Hebrew can also mean renovated. And so the psalm gives us a picture of a house that's in such bad shape, it's falling apart, and you can't even live in it, not comfortably. The implication is that our souls are run down. They're in disrepair, maybe even about to be condemned. They need restoration. Why is that our true condition, according to the Bible? Well, partly because we are crushed by troubles in the world, troubles outside of us, and partly because we're, tr- we're crushed, too, by troubles within us, by our own sins and brokenness, the suffering we go through, health challenges we face. But here's the dilemma. The word of God in Psalm 19 is described as refreshing and sweet like honey. Yet these words, laws, decrees, commands, precepts, they tell you all the things you're doing wrong, the ways you have transgressed, the ways you have not lived up to God's standard because you can't live up to it. Maybe you can think of someone in your life who seems to have it all together, someone who's living up to a pretty high standard, someone who never seems to struggle, someone who appears to be better than you. And you've got this voice in your head saying, you will never measure up to that. I had a basketball coach in high school like that. He was relentless with his criticism of us. He really yelled at us. And guess what? He was right. We were terrible. That team, it was awful. I was central to its futility, let me add. We lost almost all of our games. I think we won one game that whole season. But that coach, he was also a terrible coach. Thanks to him, we pretty much gave up. And we just got worse, even when it seemed impossible. (laughs) Is the word of God like that for you in some way? Do you hear it condemning you? Is that maybe partly why you don't want to pick it up and read it? How could God's word refresh your soul? How could it not be a weight for you? Well, we know the word of God isn't like my high school basketball coach because God is full of mercy and kindness. He's slow to anger. He's quick to forgive. At the same time, If we read the Bible in its fullness, we cannot lose sight of the truth of God's holiness. He is uncompromising. So where does that leave us? Well, I think the key comes at the end of this psalm. David says, I'll read it again, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That is the language of sacrifice. That is the way the Jewish people worshipped. You had to bring your best sheep or your best goat for it to be acceptable and pleasing. And you had had to live that way, too, according to God's commands. But it was impossible for them to succeed in that. God as our rock sounds great until it starts to crush you. 
but God as both your rock and your redeemer. Well, that changes everything. God's law may be perfect, but we aren't. We are not blameless. We are not wise. We are not joyful. We are not righteous. We rebelled against God. The early pages of scripture tell the story. We insisted on getting our own way. But God sent one with whom he was well pleased. The only one ever who has been innocent and blameless. Jesus is our redeemer. Who though he was perfect made himself nothing for our sake. He came to lay down his life and give himself as the sacrifice for our sin. And through him, God has promised to refresh and restore us. You have to read this psalm, you have to read the whole Old Testament through Jesus. And then God's law and everything else in Psalm 19 will be a delight. And it will start to revive your soul. There is no condemnation when we are in Christ because he took it for us. He took it all on himself. And that means now you can turn to the law of God. And why are you turning to it? Because it pleases God. Because it changes, renews, restores you. Now it can revive your soul. How does that happen? Well, we've heard the words of creation in the first six verses of this psalm. Then we looked at what it says about God's word. Now there's a word for us as it concludes. As we move from the summer into the fall, I think we could learn from the psalm and even move based on its own transitions. In verse 6, there's a reference to sunrises and sunsets and the warmth of the sun. That sounds a lot like summer to me. And as we've enjoyed warm days, we may have stepped out of the patterns and the habits that refresh our souls. So this psalm this morning is a call to you to renew your commitment to the practices that sustain your faith. It's a call to listen to God's word and receive all its benefits. How would you say that you are putting yourself in a position to receive God's word this fall. Maybe you've been away all summer. You've gotten out of certain habits. How are you creatively, in conversation with friends, with other believers, sorting things, planning, framing your life this fall? That's what verse 12 is getting at here. This question comes out of nowhere. But who can discern their own errors, the psalmist asks. That's an invitation to examine your own heart with Scripture. And we do that in two ways. Through the sermon in our weekly worship services and through our own Bible reading and study. Some of you have heard everything I've said today before. You know this. You're familiar with God's Word. But if it's going to revive you, you've got to be willing. You've got to receive it in humility. You've got to pay attention and listen for God's message in it. If you're sitting there waiting for the sermon to meet your standards, or if you're looking for the preacher or worship team that ticks all your boxes, you're really missing the point. And the same is true of daily devotions and Bible study in small groups, what we call home churches at Knox. 
getting up early to read scripture or doing it late at night, whenever you do it, may not give you the immediate jolt that a shot of espresso can give you in the morning. But the law of the Lord is perfect, and it can do so much more. It can revive your soul. You may not think you have time to join a home church this fall, or maybe you don't want to take the risk. You don't know those people. Or maybe you need it to be a perfect fit. Let me tell you that the people in this congregation, starting with me, are not perfect. And you will never have the time or the inclination to join a home church if you're waiting for ideal circumstances. So listen to the psalmist. The law of the Lord is perfect and it can revive your soul. You're not here by accident. So be open to the amazing things that God wants to do in your life this year. That always starts with listening to his word. Make weekly worship attendance a priority this fall. Don't sit there and criticize. That's like having your fingers in your ears. Don't sit there and keep your distance from people either. Do it at your own pace, but build those relationships. And so receive God's word with humility and in the company of his people. Get to know other Christians who are traveling together with you on this journey of faith. Listen to him, listen to them, and the Lord will refresh your soul. And if you're here this morning and you're not in a place of belief, if God's word is something you're very skeptical about, or you have questions and doubt, doubts about the Christian faith, we invite you to stick around and to continue exploring whatever brought you here. In the end, I believe that we are invited to understand God's word as it comes to us through sermons, through Bible studies, through our own devotions, not as an exercise in reading comprehension, not as a way to learn about God, but as an, a personal encounter with Christ. The author of Hebrews urges us to fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus is the word made flesh, who came close, who came to fulfill the law. I love the story of the two men on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24. They're walking along, they're confused, they're upset. They don't recognize Jesus when he starts walking with them. But they knew something about this man was special. And so they asked him to stay with them. He explained the scriptures to them, and then as they broke bread together, as they ate together, it says their eyes were opened. And they ask, when Jesus leaves, they ask, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Jesus still opens our eyes, fills our hearts, and refreshes our souls as he speaks to us through his word. Friends, I am excited to be traveling with you on that road this fall, my first fall with you at Knox. May the words of my mouth and the words we speak to each other at Knox and the meditations of all of our hearts be more and more pleasing to you, Lord Jesus, you who are our rock and our Redeemer. Thanks be to God for his word. Amen. 
We're going to take a moment now in silence to reflect on two questions. First, have you put your trust in the perfection of God's word? Second, how are you positioning yourself this fall to listen to God's word in community? I'm not sure if you're a good